Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. All right, everybody. Well, welcome once again to West Point, Mississippi, home of Mossy Oak Brand Camo and the Gamekeeper Studio. Here we are again. It's uh, it's good to be back on yet another podcast. I'm kind of full from those Gamekeeper Butchery burritos. What about you there, Bobby? Yeah, yeah this is our. Delicious. I think this is our first post lunch podcast. It is. I like post lunch podcasts. Yeah, we started post lunch, and then Lanny wanted to do them pre lunch. Oh well. That's before Vandy started cooking lunch. Vandy, he is a heck of a cook. He is. Um, but the, the, what were they called? Burritos. No, I know they were burritos, <laughs> but, he, but he put some kind of chorizo sauce on them. And I think it was elk burritos uh, and we the new line of uh, chorizo that we developed uh, with our buddies at Broadleaf uh, was in the, the uh, queso dip. So you had uh, wild boar chorizo queso dip and elk burritos. They were delicious. Homemade guac. Homemade guac. Homemade salsa. Salsa. Yeah. Yeah, Whole works. I would encourage anybody uh, to to follow Gamekeeper Butchery on Instagram. Yeah. They can see Or visit the website, gamekeepermeats.com. That'd that'd be even better. Look at there. Yeah. That's a great idea. That's a good idea. Well, look, it's hot outside, but it's, uh, you know, we got a little air conditioner in here. Yeah. But we got some great guests today. There's no question about that. And it's going to be a fun episode. So uh, before we get started with them... I just want to just uh, hit on the blood on the biologic. Yeah. There's been a couple of turkeys killed that I wanted to call out. Yeah. You know Tom Sega from Duluth uh, Packs? Oh, yeah. Killed a monster Miriam. Oh, good. Yeah, just a really, really big, in Nebraska, a really beautiful bird. And then Dave Larson from Game High. Yeah, buddy up there. Yeah, makes the Gamekeeper field wear. He killed just an absolute giant eastern in Minnesota, hmm. but it's got some real unusual tail feathers. It's just a really, really cool bird. What has it got? Bars on there? It or? does. Yeah, oh. the, the just the very top two, center two. You see feathers. that turkey behind yeah. you like that one? But it's more pronounced than that. Oh, you knocking my turkey now? No, I'm not knocking okay. your turkey. <laughs> yeah. But it's more pronounced than that. I'll show you a picture. But anyway, congratulations to those guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, turkey's winding down. I'm I'm seeing a lot of fish. Uh, Lanny's gonna get mad that I mentioned this, but I've been seeing a lot of good flatheads. Oh being, yeah, I hadn't been fishing, river. so you know I'm jealous. Well, Jason uh, McKellar yeah, caught one. Sure did. Yeah. And uh, then our buddy, uh, you know, our intern Sam, he's up in uh, Wisconsin. He laid one down. I think the last day of the season. 
Go Sam. Yeah. I, I thought he was supposed to be here working. Well, I did too, but apparently he was finishing turkey season out before he showed back up. So <laughs> hopefully he'll be back in the office. We soon. can't get on to him for that because we do the same thing. Yeah, no, you're right. Dude. Yeah. But he does need to get back here as quick as he can. It'd be nice. Sam, please come to work. Yeah. If you're listening, thank yeah. you. So today, uh, Mac, where is Mac? Mac? Yeah. Have you got a commercial to read? I do. I, I was going to talk about the butchery, and I think y'all knocked that one out. Oh, so uh, We can always talk about food. Absolutely. Uh, so I want to talk about our minerals and attractants. Uh, we've recently got them up on plantbiologic.com, and uh, it's that time of year to really start thinking about those products and those minerals that your deer need uh, during these hot months. And, you know, we, we spent uh, many, many years developing these products. You know, we have been asked as Biologic to start – uh, not, uh, we had a mineral early on, but these, um, and we use, we, we call it an attractant, but what these products have been developed to do is to benefit overall herd health. So I want to get that out there too. Uh, it's all under the full draw, biologic full draw brand name, but we do have minerals. We've got, uh, some supplements and some attractants, but, um, they're all engineered as always with all biologic products with the whitetail as our end consumer being in mind. So mm-hmm. no, I mean, these things are good for your deer is what it comes down to. So a lot of science. In this yeah, a lot of science, so, a lot of science. And it, you know, it, that actually guys probably needed to be putting these out six weeks ago, but yeah. now it's better late than never. That's if, right. if you guys are just thinking, well, I mean, about you it, establish but, mineral sites and then they stay there throughout the year, don't they? They do. They really get utilized in the spring, beginning in the spring and the, in the heat of the summer. Yeah. But I mean, just like a tree, the best time to plant one, I mean, start one was yesterday. Wasn't that, that's exactly yeah. right. Thank best you. time to lime was yesterday. That's exactly right. Yep. So. so good. Mac, thank you. Yeah. You know, he's gotten really good at this commercial. Yeah, program. he is. I think that was the first time I didn't get interrupted. Oh, we'll fix that next week. Don't worry. <laughs> so that worked out nice. I didn't know what you were going to talk about. I had to wait and see before I interrupted. I understand that. Yeah. We love interrupting you, Mac. It's pretty apparent. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Dudley, what's uh, what's going on with Native right now? Well, uh, we're still hard planting seeds, uh, moving stuff from the greenhouse out, out into the... Oh, you're going to play my polka now? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so we're... Am I supposed to do that to the beat of the music? I can do that. Um no, we're moving stuff out of the greenhouse, out into the sun, so it can blow around in the wind and get some real sunlight, so it'll harden up those main stems. But we're also collecting a lot of seed. We uh, uh, already finished red mulberry. Um, the Chickasaw plum is going hard right now, so we're out collecting that. I, uh, I found a really cool one a few years ago that we planted here by the office that makes only yellow fruits. They don't ripen red. You know, we, we like doing that kind of thing. And uh, black cherry is, is ripening. It's, it's getting close. So I tell you, I know y'all saw it, but the, the video of the turkeys flying up in the mulberry trees to eat them and knock them down and eat them was pretty, pretty amazing. It really was. That was very impressive. Uh, if you guys hadn't seen it, go to, Native Nurseries Instagram and check it out. Yeah, it's check it out. Awesome. Yeah, the turkey's actually flying up in the tree, and and this is one of the Native nursery seedlings uh, planted mulberry. So it's really cool. You know, we oftentimes get so hung up on hard mass that we often forget about soft mass. But it's a lot going on. I think this time of year, in Adela, what soft mass is dropping right now? You were just mentioning yeah, some more mulberries, collect- plums. So you know, a mul- both of those you can plant them, and in two or three years they'll be making fruits. Yeah, the ones we planted in front of the office, those are two years old. Yeah, that's Fruit a, everywhere. A mulberry is about as fast a growing tree as yeah. you'll see. It is. And and most people think deer and they think fall and winter. But uh man, you can you can really get some action on some trees right now too. 
It's, it's fun to watch them. Put your cameras on it. See what happens. Yeah, well, the, the plum trees out front, I've been eating on the fruit. They are delicious. Well, yep. Save the seeds for me, Bobby. Yeah, yeah we've got to plant those now. Those are our production <laughs> well, I do, quality. I, I, I do. I'd, and I noticed all the mulberries are gone too on the side yard. Did yeah, you eat all no, those? I too? I've, I've been eating that. Uh, and who ate those? Fighting the mockingbirds off. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Well, so look, I'm, I'm, we need to get started because I can see Mr. Dave Lindsay's over there. He's fading fast. <laughs> Must <laughs> be that El Burrito. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So our guests this week, we've got the, the Jeff and David Lindsay from the Lindsay Way. They're a father and son tag team dynamic duo. They hunt. I don't. Nobody hunts more. They hunt a lot. That's right. And they, they hunt more than you do, Bob. They hunt well, a lot more than I do. Yeah, a lot more than everybody in here. But they're they're great guys, and uh, we're you know we're we're lucky to have them here. We wanted to have them uh, have them on as a podcast, but they've been representing Mossy Oak and Gamekeepers and Biologic for a number of years. No and, doubt about it. They represent this brand and this culture, I think, better than anybody. So it's a pleasure to have them on today. That's yeah. For sure. Yeah, and I wanted to start with just a, a hearty thank you well, I'm for sorry what you do. And, yeah. and for, well, no, no, you're fine, Lane, but for the way y'all represent our brands and what y'all do. There it is. Yeah, get the whole nice. <laughs> Quite the introduction. Yeah, so, uh, so welcome. Welcome to the Gamekeeper thank Studio. You. Good to be here. Yeah, good to be here. Uh, as you know, I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I come bearing gifts. Oh, oh, wow. 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 Awesome, guys. oh so, a surprise! Looks like something from <laughs> Tiffany's. <Yeah. laughs> it's a nice bag. It's, it's the nicest bag the Walmart and man, it's like got sparklies on it. He but, went uh, to a lot of trouble. I can tell. Apparently. It took a lot of thought. It took a lot of thought. A lot of thought. These guys but, are uh, great. Rather than me. Just passing around since I got all of y'all's gift in the same one. I'll just go ahead and pass it around. But after listening to the podcast <laughs> yeah. a lot, we'll start with Dudley's gift. Oh wow! Oh wow! There you go. Oh, what do you got there, brother? I, oh, oh my goodness! <laughs> That's awesome. You wish you'd have had that earlier this year. Man, I could have used that twice this season. That's what I thought. By my count, it was twice. Yeah. That's all. That's all y'all hear about. Yeah. That's all he's telling. That's right. Who's that made the podcast? I'm gonna take off my headphones. Thank you, guys. This this red dot's perfect. These legs will be really nice. All right. For a tag sandwich. There we go. We need it. Yeah. That's my favorite oh, sunbeam. Yeah, it is. That's a good brand. That's a good, good brand. We got some helmets. <laughs> so it won't be too dry. So you see how they are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, so we, we've got a, you know, vengeance is mine. That's right. The Lord, so. There we go. All right. Right. We like y'all. He's, uh, he's thrown down the gauntlet. <laughs> well, we were able to live vicariously through you guys because you had such a good season. No doubt I mean, about I'm it. I'm not surprised in the least. Well, I knew we couldn't come in and, and throw a turkey down on the table, so I was like, what's the next best thing? <laughs> that's pretty yeah, good. White bread. Sunbeam. Oh, that's great. That is great. Well, thank you all for being here. I might so, have to get a little bit of your mustard, Bobby. I'll well, you can have some, some for sure. my tags. We'll share. How many tags do y'all each have left? I mean, how thick's that sandwich going to be? Yeah, well, mine's pretty How many can you have? Yeah. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> I, I'm right, I might have to borrow some of that bread myself. That's right. Hayden can get him a piece, too, over here. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. That made old Goose laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he's always smiling. He yeah. is. Well, th- thank you all. That's, that's very kind That's of awesome. Y'all. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of, you kind of knocked me off my game here, but let's get, <laughs> let's get back on track here. But so one of the things I wanted to 
use this podcast as an opportunity. I don't think a lot of people know about you guys and how, Mr. David, how you got started hunting and how you drug Jeff into it. Oh, they know but, about them. They just don't know what their story is yeah. and how they got to this point. Because it is. Y'all flashed up on the scene um, pretty quick. You did, uh, you know, through our friends, the juries. and uh, yeah. Because I can remember being a judge on dream season and all of a sudden, well, actually before that, my – you and David and Goliath, that whole story of you yeah. missing that big deer, I can just, I remember seeing that and it's the best, it's the its the most incredible deer I've ever laid eyes on. And then for when well, you missed it, my heart just felt for you because that's it. You're not that nice to me when I miss. Have you seen this deer, Lanny? Uh-uh. It's, got, if you, it, it's called Goliath. It. And it, and it's aired on the Wildlife Obsession yeah, it's show. It's on YouTube. It, it's the all over. Short version hunts on YouTube, yeah. And we always joke about that. Everybody wants to talk about Goliath. Now, had David killed Goliath, it would have been another 200. He's killed three or four of them. And yes, it would have been cool, but it was the big one that got away. That's what adds to the story Mm -hmm. on this one. That's why we're talking about it today. Yeah. It's it's incredible. Lenny, your eyes are going, when you see it, you're going to be like, So did Goliath die of old age? Do we know? He got poached. He got poached. He got poached the, the next day. Which was so bizarre, but that's a different. It's a different story, I that guess, for bizarre. another day. Unless wow. I want to go down yeah. that, but well, the name. So it's the name Goliath, you know, it just says it's a big deer. But then to have David and Goliath, uh-huh. that that just kind of it was it, a perfect. It was too much. The storybook. It just didn't have that storybook ending. But it it definitely has a an aura about it. That's for sure. Everybody talks about Goliath. Yeah, that's great. Well, so all right, let's start, Mr. David. Take us back. Well, how, when did you get started hunting? Well, of course, growing up in Georgia, I uh, had two brother, older brothers kind of take me out and go turkey hunting. Well, not turkey hunting, I'm sorry. Go rabbit hunting. or Good grief, what a deer. Hunting. Sorry, Mr. David. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of grew up like that, going with them, following them along, deer hunting, stuff like that. You know, they were, I was blessed enough to have older brothers that spend some time with me and take me hunting and fishing. Sure. So then, you know, as I grew up and just enjoying hunting stuff like that, and then Jeff come along, so I thought it was kind of be cool to, you know, spend time with him because I loved it so much, take him hunting. And uh, it just kind of turned into, we just kind of like hunted all the time or fished every time we had a few, few minutes or working on something on the farm or outdoors, just anything we could do to stay busy outside pretty much. And it was always like, you know, <clears throat> The, the true story, spend time with your kids, you know. Right. You don't have to hunt your kids. You take them hunting. Yeah. So it, it's true. You it, know? At what age did he make that transformation into a killer? You know, he, uh, as he was growing up, it, it's kind of one of those things you don't really want to force your kids on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want them to be able to do it. And I guess as he was growing up, he had interest in other things and ball and different things. And he'd want to go hunting some. Sometimes he wouldn't. And so I never really tried to push him, but I'd always kind of ask him. And then when he would want to go, um, I would take him. So the first deer he ever killed, I'd get him up in the mornings. You know how kids are. You get them up, you take them, put them in a the deer stand. First thing they do is go to sleep. Not like they do in a car. So the first deer that he ever killed, I had to wake him up to shoot it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. George eleven point. Yeah. There you go. Spiker. <laughs> but you know, and there was sometimes he didn't want to go, and you know that's cool too. You know, a lot of things going on at church and different kind of things. So that's that was right. all good. So he just kind of more developed, and as he got a little bit older and got more interest, it seemed like I kind of lost a little bit of interest. So then he kind of would, or he, I kind of pulled him along. He kind of pulled me along. You know, and so, it's, you know, we got to doing it more and more and, you know, get busy working. It's kind of 
don't always take priority, but we would sp- take time to do it and spend time. And I don't know, we just latched on to it and just it drove us. Well, time well spent. Yeah, y'all are as passionate about it as anybody I've ever met. And and you, I've heard you say that whether or not y'all had a television show, y'all would still be, if you didn't have a television show, you would still be hunting just as much as you are now. Yeah, for us, and really, you hear it's a lifestyle. I mean, it really is. It's, it's what we do all the time. We're either hunting or we're fishing. I mean, we got other things we do, go to ball games, watch kids play ball, just different things like that. But it's just something that... It's just our life. That's our hobby. You know, that's our all our hobbies into one. Yeah, and it's become more than just, you know, growing up, it was go to the deer camp on the weekend in October, November maybe. Uh, but now it truly is a year-round lifestyle, and that's, you know, year-round gamekeepers. But yeah. I didn't really care much about it until I was 12. Killed my first deer when I was 10 and killed a couple more when I was 11. But 12, I got, I got eat up with it for whatever reason, and it just – Spiral downhill from there. <laughs> a lot different than my son, but he, you know, but now we're it's like my dad said, it's truly a lifestyle. So he's right. that's all he sees going up. He's it's you know YouTube and he can access all that stuff at his fingertips. So he's he's got it worse than I ever had it. So I I have to try to hold him off or back him down a little bit on that. So is there a tip that you guys, father and son duo, kind of that you've obviously introduced cash? To hunting now, and you've you've had a son, you've had daughters, you've you've had grandchildren. Is there a tip when you're taking these young kids that, to kind of that you could pass along to help a guy that's in that same scenario? Yeah, <clears throat> I would think it would be you know let them be interested. You know, make sure you can go when they can go. You know, if you take uh, these young kids and they're in sports and they're doing things, they don't have a whole lot of time to do anything other than school or church and. Uh, any kind of sports and stuff. So you got to be able to take them when they can go. You got to be able to make that time. That's probably most important. And it's not always about us. You know, it's always about, it's about the next guys too. So you got to make sure that you, and I know how it is sometimes, you know, you got this deer you want to kill, or you got a small kid and you want to go kill that deer. But at the same time, I've always been like, you got to spend that time with them while they're here. Because they're not here alone, and you look at the time they get to go with you. It's not much time. Right. Seasons are short. You know, you got Saturdays the only morning really you can get up and go early, and then uh, you got Saturday afternoon. And then if you have church Sunday morning, and I'm not knocking anything or work or nothing, but sure. you know, you got short days in the winter when deer season's here. So you just got that little bit of wind and time that you can spend with them and do things, and you just got to not be selfish, and you got to put your time with them because they don't have much time that they yeah. can do it. That's a great perspective. Yeah, no doubt about yeah. it. Don't be selfish. Yeah. And so then you have your children, you know, and you spend that time. Same with my daughter. She loves to hunt. I mean, she'd rather draw a tag and go to Iowa and hunt deer than anything else. And, you know, she has three small kids, so she don't have much time. So I do everything I can for her Jeff will, too, to try to help her be successful when she draws a tag or wants to come hunting. And that's Jacqueline, right? Yep. She's still my little girl. I yeah. mean, you know, she's got three kids, but at the same time, you know. So yeah. you still look at things the same way, and you got the grandkids coming up, and just try to spend time with each one of them and make time, take them hunting. All of them love to go hunting so far, and they really enjoyed it as little as they are. You know, it's just it's great times, just like a big circle. Wow. And uh, I, I know you're talking about hunting, but uh, – I see you guys doing it all the time. It's just kind of the, the gamekeeper way. Uh, 
not every kid wants to sit in a deer stand and, uh, but uh, they, most of them like riding around on a bike, uh, looking for sheds, and uh, y'all are all about that too. I mean, it's 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 a year-round thing. You know, when I came hunting with y'all down in Georgia, uh, we spent just as much time bass fishing as oh, yeah. as we did uh, following you guys around on the farm. Yeah, you know, you got to, Doug, you've said this a lot too, don't define your success in the field by, you know, I'm the first guy to say I brought the meat to the truck, you know what I mean? But it is all about those experiences and the time spent out there with them for sure. And I think you've got to kind of mature to get to that point yeah. too. It just doesn't happen immediately. We talk about that life cycle of a gamekeeper, you know, and, and what it is is a transition from being self-centered to being selfless, you know, with the land and with the wildlife. So. Uh, and we won't go through all the stages of it because it gets kind of boring. But nonetheless, that's what it's all about. And, you know, these guys were at the forefront of that. That's right. So this reminds me, I, I wanted to make sure that I made this comment. Uh, every Sunday morning I get up and open up Instagram and there's a post by the Lindsay Way and there's a Bible verse. Mm-hmm. And that's always impressed me that you guys put your faith out there. And I just wanted to say thank you. I just think it's just really, really impressive that what you do and the way you guys behave and handle and carry yourselves and represent the sport. And uh, so, anyway, there, there you go. I, I, Dudley and I talk about it all the time. It's just very impressive. It is impressive. In a world of ego-driven things, it's good to, to see that, if I can say that. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. I would like to say I could take credit for some of that, but really Jeff does all the social media stuff. And it makes me as proud, <clears throat> excuse me, it makes me as proud that Jeff does it on his own and does that stuff yeah. as it does you guys as well. Well, it touches a lot of people. I think, Dud- you know, we've been filming some TV stuff, and Dudley mentioned a few minutes ago, it's kind of like a little ministry for you guys. And I, don't, I say little. I don't think it's a little man. I think it's a big, strong, powerful ministry. And uh, if there's anything we can do to help you guys, because uh, we, 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 we want to stand right there with you. That's such a, a great position. I appreciate that. Yeah, I've struggled with that in the past, you know, being gone. And on the TV show, I guess, you know, you can go hunting, uh, but you can sell it to your wife and the family a little more. Yeah, I got, I got one more episode. We've got to lay down in Mississippi. You know, we got to go there in January. So uh, I struggle with that. I'm like, hey, I'm missing church. You know, I'm missing, you know, is, that, is this really what, you know, the Lord's plan is for my life? And then it kind of just hit me like a ton of bricks, which I felt like it was the, you know, good Lord just whispering in my ear. He's like, man, you, I'm giving you a platform to get in front of, you know, people five times a week, you know, so many hundred thousand households and and then your social media following, you use that. That's your platform. Mm-hmm. You use that and you do that to the best of your ability. And and Dudley hit on that earlier. We don't force it down people's throat. I don't, I don't we don't hard sell anything. That's just that's what we do. It's what we won't do. And we definitely don't want to do that with our faith either. But we also want people, if they want to ask a question or they want to confide in us or, or talk about it, that's that's what we're here for. That's our platform. Just so happens to be we can intertwine that with and killing deer. I mean, yeah, all those great questions. Get any That's better right. than that? Yeah. American dream. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so let's 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 move along. I want to ask you guys a quick question about y'all manage so many properties uh, from Georgia to Illinois to Iowa, Kansas, maybe. Um, you, you obviously have to shoot a lot of does, but do you shoot the? Do y'all try to shoot those does early? Late season? What's what's your plan there? And how do you determine how many you're going to kill on your property? All the above on shooting them. And then, you know, I'll let David hit on that because he is the, uh, he enjoys shooting does. Um, you know, he gets his archery tackle out and he probably enjoys shooting does just as much as bucks. And I, and I don't joke when I say that. I mean, he, 
he lives for that. And uh, but pretty much all year long, from when it opens to when it closes, opening that morning, we'll whack the first doe we see all the way to the last trigger pull of the evening of the year. It depends on where we're at, whether we're in Georgia, time of year, or in Iowa. You know, if, if I've said before, if I'm hunting a mature deer, you know, I want to make sure I hunt the right him the right day. So I might spend some time shooting some does early. Um, it's kind of tougher in the summertime, you know, getting them, getting them gutted. And um, I'll never try to shoot one where I'm hunting a big deer because I'm always thinking if I shoot her, she's going to run down through there where he's at and spill blood everywhere and just mess me up. So I don't want to take any kind of chances like that. But um, we just try to kill them whenever we can, you know, just whenever opportunity arises that we have a few days that we can shoot them early season. They're a lot easier to shoot then. Um, late season, we're always – finding ourselves trying to play catch up because we never can get enough done. Depends on the year, how many we want to take out or how many we feel comfortable with. But We won't shoot them with a rifle or, or gun seasons, whatever, until after the rut. We're very peculiar about that. If a rifle or a firearm is going to be fired on our property, it's either going to be at a coyote or a, you know, a, a mature buck we're yeah. after. Yeah, yeah, managing your noise pollution. I yeah. understand that completely. Because really what happens is if you go start pulling the guns out in Georgia, start shooting does and you forget about the bucks. Mm-hmm. They gone. So they gone. But Thanksgiving <laughs> rolls around, all bets are off. You better have your buck tag filled by Thanksgiving because that's when we say, all right, boys, time to get to work. Right. Yeah. You know, that's this just, it is work. I'm going to tell you. It from is experience, it's a, ton it's a lot of work. of work. And that's why, you know, it's not the most popular thing to do because at the end of the day, it, it's it's a lot of work. But it's what you can do to take your properties to the next no level. No question. I've seen it affect properties in profound ways. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the one thing that people don't do enough of. Yeah. And, and there, where, where a lot of us are in the situation of just only wanting to shoot bucks. Right. Only wanting to shoot mature bucks. And then all of a sudden you, you, you turn around in and, and five or ten years and, and you're, you, you're do- it's just a Big problem. You got browse lines. Yeah, especially in the south, we got a super high deer density, anyways. You know, so and we are limited by, by a lot of our, you know, a lot of the whitetail lands we're doing are on primarily timber tracks too. So mm-hmm. it's a big active part. And it's interesting for me to hear how much work it is in Iowa too, because of course, as a deer hunter, I'm like, think of Iowa. I'm like, well, everything's perfect up there. A big you giant field. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look at Hercules <laughs> and every corner, and every field, and everything. Because one behind every tree. Yeah, and but know, uh, but it is sounds like a a, a very high priority for managing in the Midwest, too, which is interesting to me. But, you know, on the, on the contrary, the, uh, the the doe harvesting has been pushed so hard for so long yeah. that uh, there's some areas where they need to back off a little bit. That's Absolutely. true. Yeah, it's called up with some people too much an adverse effect. And it was a lot on how people were raised. You know, you, you can't get that, you know, 70-year-old man that grew up and was not looking forward to seeing the buck track. He's not going to shoot a mama doe. Right. You know, it's right. just not happening. And you can't blame them for that, you know. Um, maybe that's kind of how we are on turkeys now, you yeah. know, so I understand. No, I understand that too. So uh, apparently I'll spend a lot of time and research on your else properties with camera surveys, I'm assuming, and, and getting a real accurate count of kind of what you're dealing with going into the season. So how, can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, how many cameras are you running at a time, you know? Um, yeah, more than sense? we care to admit, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I would yeah. think you'd have to, to be as good as y'all are at what you do. Um, you, it's all about the, having the right data and the right information. So It is. Well, we start, you know, my thing is uh, growing up as a kid, I read a Dick Idle article or, or something. He would always say, you can't really tell what a buck's frame is. You can kind of decipher who he is from last year or what he's going to be by July 4th. 
Um, it, now that doesn't count South Florida. They're sure. shedding velvet down there. But for where we hunt, that's way, the way it is. And I'm sure that's the way it is around here too. So July 4th, I really don't like to put out deer cameras until then because I almost, have, have, my dad says I'm superstitious and maybe a little bit, but I figure sure. out just, just, a just, little out yeah, just a little <laughs> Not stitch. superstitious is a little. <laughs> so I do that and, and we run a bunch. I mean, gosh, it's, I think we figured it up. Um, last, on average, we look at close to 2 million trail cam images a year just based wow. off of, you know, running 100 cameras in five different states. And, um, you know, we probably could do a little more scientific approach on our, uh, you know, counting does mm-hmm. like, like, you know, a lot of the biologists do. But we can get a pretty good look at it knowing how many we, we have going into the season based on if, if EHD doesn't hit or, we you know, we don't have neighbors that, that – um, tear up a you know just kill a bunch of deer so we go into season knowing we got to kill a few and then we just start using what we see you know eyes mm-hmm. in the sky what we see in hunting and you know kind of balance our buck doe ratio writing that down making mental notes of it and then we say okay you know what we need to this area yeah we're going to shoot 40 does off this farm but let's, let's try to take most of them on the you know the back half or something gotcha. like that so but we we do do put a lot of a lot of faith into cameras probably um, you know, I think sometimes a little too much because right. that's why I enjoy going to the Delta. I do not run. I have a, I'm in a club out there. I do not run cameras. I don't want to. I want to show up and hunt. I want to go think in that blind. That big one yeah. might may be there. Yeah. So a little bit, you know, I I love cameras. I love what they they do for us and how much they help us to raise or, or you know to really keep up with mature deer and age them and all. But it's sometimes. You, you can't let that take the fun out of it. And right. I think that does for a lot of people. I've heard it so much. I ain't got a big deer on camera worth going hunting. I'm like, you go hunting. You know, yeah. you're doing it for the wrong reason that's at that exactly point. Right. So I, that's one pet peeve of mine. Don't say that. Just just go hunt. You know, you never know what's going to show up. Oh, I'm you like, yeah, get I like the mystery day. of it, you know? Yeah. And I just do. But um, on the flip side, though, I tell you, because I used to be that guy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought it might take the fun out of it. Right. But now I've come full circle on the camera thing. Well, it's a hobby of yours. It, it, oh, yeah. And, and, yeah. Well, and you never know what you're going to see. But <laughs> it, what it helps you do is that you might kind of develop a little bit of a relationship with a deer, and you can recognize him a little faster. And if you're in a scenario, you go, oh, okay, Absolutely. that's that's such and such. And you only got two or three seconds to make a decision right. where you're going to shoot him. And you, you know who he is. You yeah. won't make a mistake, too. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, but to Jeff's point, if you don't have a deer on camera, don't not go hunting. I mean, you know, my house is a prime example of that. I didn't, a, a giant whitetail showed up in the middle of nowhere for no reason, you know, and if I'd have been in the right place at the right time, I'd have been there and never had a picture of it. Yeah, so. well, I mean, how many times do you hear somebody say, I've never had a picture of this right. deer? A right. lot. Yeah. yeah. And he's yeah. usually one of the bigger ones. And you wonder about those people. Yeah. I mean, well, they run in like one camera, the batteries <laughs> went dead in November, right. you know, you always worry about that, but. They're, they're a deadly tool as well, though. I mean, on, like you said, it's a different hobby. For me, That I look as much forward to those July and August summertime pictures sure. as I do any part of the hunting. And it, it can be a lot of work, you know, taking in feed or putting out mineral blocks, running them over uh, fence gaps, whatever state you're in, whatever's legal there. But that, to me, when, when I get to check those first couple of cards um, of it's like year, Christmas. It's, it's Christmas morning. Yeah. I mean, it, it is so much fun. I like it you just know? as much as hunting. Yeah, yeah let's see what is. we got. Yeah. Yeah. Run, it's, it's like running traps. It's catch and release. It's, yeah, it's like fishing. Yeah, well, I can let him go and right. Get him again next year. So it, it's a hobby. It's a lot of fun, but it's deadly too. You know, come deer season, a lot, especially a lot of these states. You know, where you can use the, the cellular cameras, or you can run them over feeders and stuff, and knowing deer in certain areas, you can if you act quick and you can get it done. And yeah. we're we're so big on the pressure thing. Um, they're huge for that. Absolutely. You're not. You know, you're 
you're not having to hunt and glass and yeah, go in there every day to look. Yeah, yeah you can you can see what's on your place and and you can know when to when to go in and when not to go in and compare it with the weather and all that good stuff. So we've all got these Spartan cell cameras mm-hmm. and they, I mean, it, I, all day long I'll, I'll get a little notification and it. it, it I wonder I mean, what you've been doing in there. You just uh, you. Just, a lot of fun yeah. to see what's going on. No, it is a lot it of fun. It really is. And look, they're super useful for, useful for all kind of things. You know, just yeah, Lanny monitors his refrigerator yeah. usage. Make sure my kids don't <laughs> really? drink too many sodas. Yeah, <laughs> that, That's pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. Well, so while we're here, let me ask this. You guys have property in multiple states. Um, are, are there ways that you guys work to poacher-proof your property? Are there tips that you could share with our listeners to help them Poacher proof their properties. I'm kind of, I'm coming out of the blue here with this question, but uh, it's got to be something that's, that you guys think about. Well, David's uh, strategy and I was just show up and be the new guy in town and make everybody think you're crazy. And that, there you go. That actually <laughs> worked. worked. It, yeah. it worked really well the first couple of years. I call that the people. crazy white boy. I've done that yeah. before myself. Yeah. <laughs> you got you got to make them think. You know, you got you got a shovel and you're not scared to use it. Sometimes mm-hmm. it feels like. Yeah, start twitching in front of them. I don't know if there's any way really to, you know. I don't either. Fully do it. it. <laughs> you know, just try to make sure you don't plant nothing close to the edge of the road that, you know, they will stop and see your deer shoot. And don't make it easy for buffers them. buffers and, yeah. right. you know, use your cameras. You can use your camera strategies for that too and just try to be as visible as you can. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I can't tell you how many times, you know, and, and we're not out there all night, you know. So somebody's walking around with a portable spotlight and a rifle and, you know, those these big bad poacher rings you've always heard about. I mean, people like that are, are tough to catch, but we're sitting there and we do get, we're fortunate to get to hunt a lot, but we hear a shot, you know, we're starting texting, you know, trying to detective Bill, where are these going to be? Where's this coming from? Who is it? Who is it? What's going on? You know, so it. Oh, that's tough. that's here. Yeah, it's a hundred percent. I mean, we'll be bow hunting. <laughs> yeah, and we'll hear a shot on the road. You know, just this year, somebody shot a doe off the road. We're sitting in a tree bow hunting right behind us. You know, a few hundred yards. No, it happens. So for sure. it's always stuff like that. But I think one of the key things is uh, you know just staying close contact with your local DNR people, and uh, they've helped us a lot. And the main thing is that if you're having trouble, they come out. If you catch somebody. You need to prosecute them. Prosecute them. That's yes, right. Yes, sir. Because yeah. um, if you don't, they'll get tired of coming out, and then these guys will learn what they can get away with, mm-hmm. and I hold no, yeah, they want I hold no punches. Yeah, I don't yeah. blame them. Mac, have you got a question? I do. I have a, I have a question that I kind of fight with back and forth on what to do, and I kind of want y'all's opinion on it. So if you're going to a property and you've got a gate you got to go through or you're going to walk through that gate, do you lock that gate behind you and shut it, or do you leave it open to show your presence? Well, my thought on that is if you leave it open every time, somebody's going to pattern you about like we try to pattern these deer. But then when you lock it and feel like you're trying, you're going in there and doing something guilty or doing something bad, you know. So uh, it, it just depends. Deer season, we are probably leave our gates open a little too much. And we do that for a mul- multitude of reasons, but, you know, not to make noise with the chain and all that. So um, David's going to lock them. You know, he's more old school than me. He's going to lock them and everything, shut them behind him a lot more so than I am. He's got a, a special spot he hunts behind a gate and it's locked all the time. You never know when he's in there, you know, but I can, I guess maybe get a little careless on that, but it, it just depends on the time of season. But I don't think you can ever go wrong. Just dummy locking or, or something like that behind you. You don't want to lose that key when you're in there. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I think if you're going, you're going to lock the gate behind you, 
you want to be consistent whatever you're doing because they will learn that if it's open then you're in there but if you lock it back leave your vehicle or something so that somebody could see it if they went down the road and the gate was locked and that way that might fool them both ways you know what i'm saying but we we have to worry about that with snow in the winter time so if, you know it's very tracks. obvious is, is there any tracks there they haven't uh, been in there so we're always just making Dummy tracks or, or whatever you will. I hope no poachers are listening to this. But. Well, there's only that's three here. or four people yeah. listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a good question, Mike. Yeah, that really was. Why don't you uh, think of another one and we'll bring you back on. I've got plenty of yeah, questions. Yeah, Mike's got more questions and we've probably got answers. No questions. Right. Oh, well, so look, we talked on the television side of things earlier this morning. I'm not sure what all will make it on the show and what, what won't, but I thought you answered a question that a lot of guys would want to know. And that is when you bought your first farm. Back, uh, we were talking earlier, and, and Jeff was a young guy, and we, we laughed about him wanting to drop out of, or we would have wanted to drop out of college at yeah, that time. And, and I would have. Go home. <laughs> but my question is how did you go about getting your wife, Miss Wanda, excited about you buying that 920 acres? Um, I guess just really making her a part of it. And, you know, of course, we all have to kind of have our wife's permission to do things or not. We'll pay for it later, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's really more of just um, I've always felt like this. Land's a great investment. And if you buy it right, even if you don't buy it right and you keep it long enough, it'll still be a great investment. Mm -hmm. And no so doubt. what I've kind of learned is, is that whatever you do, you do it together. You know, we've been married 40 four years this year. So <clears throat> when when we got married, you know, we we just listen to each other and we do things together. And uh, most of the time we agree on things. Sometimes we disagree with things. Usually I'll end up going with what she said. But <laughs> hey, that's a wise man over there. <laughs> yeah. you know? Well, I, I, that, that's good because I think a lot of our listeners, are they, they have the ambition to buy a property and fix it up. The things that you've done to your property. And and so, I, I mean, I, I think what he's saying is just so smart is to get your wife involved in it. Absolutely. And not just your wife, your family, whole family. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a big decision. And it's usually in a good investment, usually. So, well, and part of that return too is that time. You know, it isn't just financial. It's the 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 having a place to go, the having the things to do with them, uh, is so important. Yeah, that's memories right. made. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Life is short, at least here. Yeah, oh, do you quit? Get quicker it goes. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's right. So let's shift gears just a little bit and talk about some of the things that y'all do annually on your property that you think really enhances the huntability of the property. Are, are, are there things that you think? that you guys do regularly that, boy, I've got to do this to, to, to make, to, to improve the hunting on the property. I, you know, food plots come to mind and we know y'all do that a lot, but, but are y'all doing a lot of architecture around creating edges and creating borders and creating trails, to, you know, resistance. Landscaping. Yeah. yeah. Creating a, yeah, food plot architecture. Yeah. That comes down to food plots, but it just doesn't apply to those. But David's always been about, edges that was one of the first things he learned first things he taught me you know as many edges if you can give uh, that buck to you know two bounces and he's in it's edges are good for turkey nest and rabbit use them you know, all wildlife in my opinion benefit off of good edges but um you can never have enough of those but i think it, a lot of it comes down to um diversity you know whether it's burning doing tsi work uh, any type of you know timber harvest timber management 
food plots. Just just don't do the same thing. Change it up. See what works best for you and your area. And uh, we tell people all the time, our way is not the only way. It's the Lindsay way. I know it's mm-hmm. cliche, but that's true. But we've been able to, uh, you know, hunt and work on land, you know, across the Midwest and across the South. So we feel like we, we know what's worked for us. But there again, what we may has worked for us in, in Western uh, Mississippi and the Delta is probably totally different over here for you guys. So it's uh, it's it's different. You just always say, you know, talk to people who's who's been successful in your area, consult local co-ops when it comes to, you know, spraying herbicides or clover or whatever you want to do and, and just soak up as much knowledge as you can from people who are who are smarter than you through Gamekeeper podcast, whatever sure. it may be. Sure. Learn, learn stuff. Yeah. Learn all you can. Yeah. Well, that's the, we talked about being a gamekeeper. One of the benefits of it is that you never learn it all. You know, there's always some, especially when you're making regional shifts like you are, you are you know, and, and learning the differences between Iowa and Georgia and all those different things. Yeah, some of the things that we would always try to do and we think through, uh, we would section our farms off. You know, you might have 200 acres of pines on the, that go around the edges of the fields and stuff like that. So we wouldn't do, we wouldn't burn all that at one time, but we'd have a section of it, maybe break it if you made it into 50 acres to each, four different acres. You might burn the north piece off and the south piece because the more diversity we talked about early on and it's like, you don't want to burn it all. You don't want to cut it all at one time. You want it all at different stages. Mm-hmm. And if you can kind of do that, like a checkerboard or whatever, how you want to do it, don't necessarily have to be square or whatever, any kind of shape. Same with trees, too. We try yeah. to plant a few every year, you know. Obviously, when they all mature, they're all dropping, but you just can't You can't do it all at once. You know, we learned that the hard way. You can't go into a property and do everything at one time. But maybe on a, a Thursday afternoon after work, you plant 10 trees that, that day or something. And that Saturday, you, you, you mow your field and spray it and get ready to disc it in two weeks. You just, you, you got to have some sort of a plan, you know, to, to make stuff happen all the time. That's a good point. I, I preach that a lot to folks that call in, um, you know, I, I talk about it some, but you know, you people lay in bed and think about what they're going to do at their place, and they get these big ideas, and they save save up, and they may want to buy a thousand trees and and cover their whole place in different areas. And uh, what really seems to work is is doing a little bit of it at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, nobody wants to do this huge project and then realize five years later that they, they put it in the wrong place or uh, planted the wrong type of tree. Um, and when you're doing little little pieces at a time, it also gives you more time to manage it. Whereas, you know, uh, you just fill up a hundred acre field worth of trees and have tree tubes or whatever. You're not going to be able to baby all of those. Yeah, if you get a drought that summer, they're going to all die or you're going to die of water. Exactly. It it just, every time it seems to always go back to this diversity. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And doing it in stages. So speaking of, let's talk a little bit about y'all's food plot programs. So uh, in the the Midwest, what, when do y'all, what's that window y'all are trying to get uh, your plots in and what are y'all planting then? So if we're looking at our fall plots, then basically what we try to do is get them in early August, try to have our ground prepped, everything ready to go. We see that next rain fixing to come in. Then we'll try to get our seed in the ground and have it ready for that, you know, catch first two rains. You usually get one that first, second week of August, so we try to have everything ready to go, ready to plant, get it in the ground, get that rain on it, and just hope and pray we get that second rain. And then that makes it ideal for that first October. 
you know, you got that three, almost three months right there, two months. It is almost 60 days. And sure. Them bulbs will be just right for the deer radishes. And then what we do with our, what we think of our larger fields that we might be gun hunting, uh, that we're going to spend, there might be a bigger area that you can't bow hunt as much. Then we'll look at winter bulbs and sugar beets and we'll plant them at the same time. And they'll last us pretty much up to, depending on how hard the deer hit them, I'd say Thanksgiving a little past. And the deer still dig them up even when the ground freezes and stuff, but they'll go all the way, I guess, to the end of the year pretty much if the deer density in that area is not as bad. Yeah, if the weather allows. And we always say uh, August 7th, a perfect scenario for Iowa. That's a lot different in uh, Illinois or different wherever. But for us in southern Iowa, um, August, I said April, August 7th is, is the day for us. And that's that's the day that it gives us enough time. Because if you plant them too early, a lot of people, man, they'll start planting July or whatever. But in my opinion, those brassicas are, are too, they're not tough, but they're not as fresh. Deer love those fresh young shoots, but you also have to plant them just early enough to get the size bulbs that'll carry you through the winter before your good frost start hitting. So that's kind of the, the perfect storm for us if we can get a rain in there and if we can't get a rain we'll, we'll make it rain i don't know if you guys have ever seen our our watering rig that it does not replicate rain but <laughs> it makes us feel better is what i tell my dad yeah. So. yeah and it takes a long time to put a little bit of water on land yeah Would when you start doing the math yeah. on it it's oh, like no. why, why are we doing this yeah yeah, yeah. no that we don't sense. attempt it in georgia we do nah, yeah. in the West, but we have to if we don't have that food right there for late season you know we're just it's rough so I want to I want to talk to you about Georgia, but I know Lanny's got to get up and leave. So we're going to just say, Lanny, I, did y'all hear this phone ring a minute ago? I think that was his bookie. So we probably got to go meet. <laughs> got to get one so, in. Huh? So so Lanny's easing out of here. Checking but, out. So you want me to say something? Yeah, we just okay. My bad. Yeah. Can't turn my mic off. <laughs> Yeah, that wasn't my bookie. That was my wife. So uh, I got to go now. <laughs> Just play it. Well, don't forget Hayden. No, no, I won't forget it. But I do appreciate y'all being here. And I wish I could stay longer because I love talking about food plots and whitetails. That's for sure. Yeah, don't forget your bread. Oh, yeah. I'm a tag sandwich. <laughs> I'm going to get the mustard, dude. Yeah, I'm a mustard guy. Toxie may have some tomatoes ready. He, he's always the first guy to. BLTs are tomatoes. coming soon. That's yeah, for sure. That's, that's all you need is mayonnaise and white bread and tomatoes then. Yeah. Well, be careful. We'll see. Yes, sir. So, look, uh, yeah, you guys, I want to talk to you about what y'all plant in Georgia or when y'all plant in Georgia, but I, I, I listened to you earlier talk about not getting started until um, October. And that's kind of the scenario that we find ourselves in here. We're, we're actually a little further north than you guys are here in Mississippi. But what we've, what we've learned is that if we can see a rain event on the horizon and can get in front of it, we can get some of these – like maximum and the radishes, we can get them in the ground. And sometimes every third year or so, we get lucky in that, and we can plant that last week of August, and then it's just magical. But it, it doesn't happen every time. But I would encourage you all to try to do that in Georgia as well. So I, I know you I feel confident you're going to tell me you guys don't get started until October. And yeah, that's hard to grow those brassicas yeah. big, you know, plants. Yeah, September is right? when we try to do in Georgia. That's ideal because we found anything before the 15th that we're going to be, September we're going to be dealing with armyworms. Yeah. Extremely now, bad. Yeah, so we do as well here. But we have found Intrepid. So I didn't know if you guys knew about that, but you can, it, it's a preventative. So you can spray your plots that you plant in September and you won't have any army worms. Really? It's, kind of, yeah, it's, it's true preventative. It's, it's yeah, we always spray it when it's too late, you know, and it ate up half the field, and here we come spraying it. Y- yes, and if you don't get on them right then, it's gone. Yeah. 
And I mean, you can be away from your farm just a few days, come back, and it'll be wiped out. That's that's right. You know, that's and it. you guys have you're bouncing around, and so you kind of have to go with the law of averages, especially down here in that Georgia red stuff. It's not very forgiving, but uh, at my place uh, in Mississippi, I've I've got some good soils in my bottom ground, and I always shoot for at least a couple of spots to try on Labor Day weekend to get some brassicas in the ground. Mm. And uh, cross fingers, I've never had army worms in them if I wait until September 1st. It may be different in some areas, but... Now, we really... Toxie is a... He declares it's like he's got different codes, DEFCON 4. And, I mean, and he's got a rig set up just for army worms for his duck holes. Because all that vegetation. Wash out that millet, won't they? Yeah, that guy's choice is so tender and succulent in those bottoms, and those worms just annihilate it if given a chance. So he's learned to go ahead and pre-spray. To, to keep them off, and it's been successful. That's great. So, yeah, that's a lot more important. Probably, you know, your your deer plot to just planted two weeks earlier, you can go in there and replant, but not on those duck holes. No, you that, can't. You that lose that time. Maturing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure I pointed that out to you that's guys because it might be something you think about. But, but yeah, so uh, cereal grains probably do very well over there planted that late. Um, yeah, oats is, you know, wheat, oats, you know, the Green Patch Plus, that's something we've had a lot of luck with in Georgia. That's probably, if we had to plant just one thing, yes, we love the, the brassicas, but, you know, Green Patch Plus is a big thing for us or yeah. anybody it's, in the South. It's got, it's got some brassicas in it, and uh, that when folks call in and say, I, I just need to get, you know, what's your best, you know, it's always Green Patch Plus. It's that most well-rounded blend we've got and it, it's also very available and, and it, it's hardy too yes and ironically it's economical yeah. uh, i mean uh, it's a 40 pound bag sells for about 35 dollars. that's mm-hmm. a bargain yeah it really is that's so, a yeah i would encourage people to take a look at that and so but you guys uh the the buck that you killed mr david last year mr mumbles that was thought to be about eight or nine years old now, you killed that deer around persimmons, didn't you? I did, yes, sir. Yeah. Coming to persimmon trees that afternoon. Yeah, it's quite a quite a hunt. It was quite a deer. Yep. Very impressive. He, uh, I watched him walk into a stand of, uh, I watched him walk into a stand. I saw two thopes and watched him walk all the way across the field. And then I knew I had pictures that he was in those persimmons that morning. I felt confident he was going to come back to that spot that afternoon. Just like, you need to go get in that tree. You got the right wind. Everything's just perfect. And I uh, never thought I'd see him that early in the day since I had seen him the day before and one time the year before, and that's the only time we'd ever saw that deer. So, you know, thinking he's going to come out in that field where yeah, you're in. Yeah, nine years, night. yeah, that we knew of. <laughs> yeah. So Jeff encouraged you to go hunt that spot that yeah, day. Yeah, it was his stand. Well, I'd shot a big one there a couple of years ago, but, yeah. So, it's I mean, a- his, his, his thing was like before season ever started, he said, this is the deer – our number one deer for the hit list this year of Goliath. Yeah, anywhere that we, we hunt or are going to hunt. If we can take this deer out here in Georgia, you know, because we look at our goals every year just like everybody does. What can we do this year that would be good? And he says, that's what we need to do right there. Mm. And I had already just a few days before shot 140-inch deer in Georgia. In full velvet. Yeah. Full velvet. I mean, so I limited out the first week. It'd been very easy for Jeff to just went and got in his stand and shot that deer, but he didn't do it. No, well, I was coming back from a hurricane. That yeah, he was, that. but he's always been like that. He's very unselfish, and he always tries to give and give other people that spot. 
Well, I'm just paying him back. You know, I used to our first trips ever out of state. He was he'd take me to uh, we took to Canada. He'd pay the whole thing, and I remember it was twenty five hundred bucks at the time or whatever it was. And he said, "Well, you know, I'm doing this. I'm like, yeah, we're going hunting." No, he's like, "One day you go, you go take for mine." Yeah, my, <laughs> you know. So when I say pay I, back, I'm thinking pay back. You know, like take me and. You know, pay for the trip. And I guess are, are no, we there yet? Kidding. I don't know. No, I think I have paid for one of his. I paid for an elk hunt or something. A couple but he ago. does everybody that way. Even his friends, he'll put them in the right spot. He knows where the deer is at. And I mean, he's just a very unselfless person, and that's why he's blessed the way he is. I think you're right. I do. I yeah. I believe it 100. percent Yeah. It's, there's something to that. Yeah, for sure. Call it karma or whatever you want to call it. It, it seems to work. Yeah. Well, there's a good energy around you guys. Uh, I, I particularly have a, a strong, just, a, 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 it, it appeals to me that this is a father and son team. And I look at you and the way you look up to your dad, and I look at you and I see the way you look at him with the love. And, I mean, I, it's not every father and son get to spend the time together that you guys do. Yeah, y'all amen. Are, y'all are fortunate. really blessed. And, uh, and But y'all don't take it for granted. I can I can see that about both of y'all. And I noticed that, I mean, I can remember commenting on that back in dream season, however many years ago that's been. But right, yeah. So it's still there between you guys. That's pretty special. I have a lot of people message us on you know, Instagram, Facebook, or whatever, and they'll be like, hey, man, do you? Don't take it for for granted, you know, being with your dad now. And and I don't, but it's a good reminder. He's like, hey, I lost my father back in summer. We'd always go yeah. to deer camp on the, you know, every November or something. So there's a story like that that I hear probably once a month. And and I don't take it wrong because I, you know, but it's like, thanks, I needed that reminder. Yeah, you know, I'm, that, I'm one of them. I, yeah. I lost my dad at 17. He was mm-hmm. my best buddy, hunting right, hunting yeah. buddy. And uh, yeah, I hear that stuff all the so, time. So uh, I. I live vicariously through people like you and Toxie yeah. and Fox, yeah. another another right. great yeah. example. And uh, I have so many dads now, uh, you know, David being one, Bobby being one. So <laughs> you, you kind of, I lost, but I, I also gained. I know that's getting right. kind of off subject, but uh, yeah, no, I reach out to, to all kinds of dads now. Yeah, you, you know, got to have somebody you, you seek counsel from or you know, can can be a part time psychiatrist for yeah. you because you have they have stuff you have to work through. Right on the on the not just in life in general, but but deer hunting. You know, dealing with poachers. How do I handle this situation? Right. Or what about this deer? I really want to hunt him, but I think I need to give him one more year. I mean, stuff like that. I don't know that's next level, but that stuff is people that that live it and breathe it. You know, like all of us do. You know, you you need need somebody to bounce that off of. You need right. a good friend. You know, and I was always I always seemed like I was a young guy. You know, now here I am, everywhere I go, I'm the old guy. You know, and people are like, well, why would you want to do this? Or, you know, I think people kind of get into this thing about an age where they think they're too old to do stuff. And I'm the guy that's not, I don't feel that way at all. I mean, yeah, I kind of like last year, you know, I kind of had a rough year deer hunting uh, in Iowa with my bow and stuff like that because maybe I was being a little bit too picky, but. You know, I'm determined every year, as long as I get that bow in my hand, good Lord gives me that day, you know, and I get to go out there and bow hunt, boy, I'm going to do it. And it don't matter. It don't matter how old I get. I think age is just a number. You just got to get out there and do it. So, you know, I'm for the guy that's sitting on the couch or the guys that think they're too old to get out and do something, and, and you're not. You just got to get up and go do it, you know. Yep. And don't let age be a factor, man, because it's just a number. Go for it. Can I quote a movie? Get get busy living or get busy dying? Yeah. Wasn't that in Shawshank? That's exactly yeah. right, yeah. 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 Who wrote Shawshank? 
Um, Stephen King. That's exactly right. Also wrote Stand By Me, another great movie. Yeah. Yeah, Shawshank has a lot of good uh, stories in it that you can, or little subtle stories that you can apply to life in general. Oh, yeah. Well, I've I've enjoyed kind of getting off topic a little bit with you guys, you know, not not just talking about deer hunting, but philosophizing a little bit. (laughs) That's deadly for you. (laughs) And I have too. But I would like to ask one more question. I would love to know and get y'all's opinion. How big a role does Clover play in the management of your properties? And, you know, obviously you're going to plant it at different times of the year since y'all have got properties in different states, but... Yeah, Clover, um, you know, we we teach seminars, and it's not our favorite thing to do, but we do get asked to do them from time to time at certain shows we attend to attend and all. And we have pretty much a whole presentation dedicated to Clover because, you know, I see 100% of the messages that come over on our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, whatever. I see those. And the number one question we get asked of all, above all is, hey, what do I need to plant? This food plot. <laughs> I, would, I would have thought, can I come hunt? Uh, right, yeah. the no, the number two is how do I clear deer for instance random? How do I clear deer from a field when my field's full of deer? How do I get down? You know, we get that a lot. We got our own theory on that. But but yeah, what do I plant? So my first and foremost blanket answer is always going to be clover. Because it's it's economical to plant, it's year-round nutrition. You I think you get the most from your fields out of clover. If you plant beans or corn, you're gonna look at the edges, they're gonna be rough, they're gonna be ate down. Same with grass because they're competing with that, those roots and the shade and all but a clover you, you always notice it just it takes every advantage where where it can go in in a field so clover is number one it, the, the amount of tonnage of forage it produces compared to anything else and just keeps coming back you cannot beat it for for deer and turkey but you know david's favorite thing is is deer radishes and it's one of those things i'm i'm going to ask clover is the first is what i'm always going to say but where are you going to be or what time of year do you want to be hunting well i usually like to take the first week off of first weekend of october off and then i like to hunt in november i'm like well deer radishes you know hands down um but if it's it's something where you're able to plant two plots or something like that you can do one or the other but i i try not to answer that question lightly because i do realize that a lot of people you know may only have a, a quarter acre back on granny's back 40 or something they can work up or or frost seed so but Deer radishes or clover is going to be my first first two answers, but 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 clover is by far. I cannot say enough good things about clover. Not just the year round nutrition, but if you can get those deer consistently eating that in the summertime and the, the amount of protein. I mean, anybody that's ever got on a big you know the white clover bandwagon and started putting that on their farm within a year or two, they'll they'll be a fan. They'll be the you know the biggest you know non typical or clover plus salesman in the U.S. because of what it does. Just, just to your deer overall and their body weights and, and and the size of their horns. I'm a huge believer in that. Do you guys have a preference on, uh, you know, our, our clover blend, which is clover plus chicory versus the that single variety, the non-typical clover? Yeah, we uh, clover plus in the south is what we've always done. I like mixing with chicory. We have about half and half of the um, on those two blends. But the non-typical clover, you know, it's always been my understanding that that was designed to be a little more cold tolerant and more geared to the people in the Midwest or up north, and it and it we've seen that. So that's what I've found is uh, the the non tip is uh, almost like a designer clover. It's got you know huge leaves, uh, gets tall, uh, but it it it's a little bit pickier about where it goes. And the, the clover plus being a blend of annuals and perennials, it's, it's got that balanza clover I like so much in there. 
Um, that stuff really persists at my farm, even in the areas where I'm not able to get in there and lime. Um, I've been really surprised. I've, I've got some spots that are seven and eight years old that I still have clover coming up. Wow, now. that's awesome. But uh, that non-tip, it, it makes more tonnage. I, I think the deer like it a little better, but it's a little bit pickier about where it goes. It, it needs all of those inputs. Mm-hmm. Makes what, sense. What's really great about clover, you don't have to have a certain size field to plant it. Where you do if you planted, you know, beans or corn because the deer's going to eat those small plots up. But sure. with clover, you can put it there. Like Jeff had mentioned earlier, it grows from from tree root to tree root. It don't get, you know, you plant a field, a small field, it might be an acre, and that tree line, time it gets out there in your corn and beans, you're going to end up with three-quarters of an acre, but your clover goes from edge to edge, very economical. It's year-round nutrition. I mean, low maintenance. And you don't really have to have all the implements that takes your traditional food plots to plant it. You can frost seed it, or there's so many ways you can get clover in the ground with a drill and everything. Sure. You'll always find deer and turkey. If there's deer and turkey there, they will be in it. Yeah, and they will. uh, I'll mention that you're you're not just planting clover, you're planting insects for your turkeys and birds to eat on, too. Because you go out there in the summer, there'll be black crickets all out in there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's. Lot, lot safe about it, that's for sure. Yeah, we consider ourselves, I guess, clover connoisseurs or clover <laughs> snobs, you know. So, but what we do need to do, we need to come in this fall because we do get asked the question. I mean, we'll start teaching on one of these classes and, okay, well, yeah, I, I'm using them both, but just which one's your favorite? You know, is it the Clover Plus or is it non-typical? So this year I'd, I'd like to plant a couple of test plots in the south and in the Midwest on our ground, you know, at least we can see firsthand knowledge because we're sitting on those fields every night when they come out. Will they go back and forth? Are they hanging on this one certain times of the year? So we need to pay a little more attention to that versus just saying, hey, this is our favorite one because it's it's done so well. But I think we can learn a little bit yeah, on that. You know, another thing about clover, it'll grow in the shade where your crops won't. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a lot more area that, that kind of gets into that. Yeah, Jeff Makes hit on it. Like uh, it'll grow on the edge of the trees on a field. And that may be the spot in the heat of the summer where it's able to persist, but the middle of the field may go a little bit dormant from the sun hitting it all day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so a lot of my fields that I've planted clover in five years ago, it, it may not be doing good in the middle, and I'll, I'll end up putting an annual in there, but, but let that, clo- that perennial clover stay on the edges. Yeah, yeah there's a young guy in the room here, David McElwain, sitting over there uh, behind the camera that a couple of nights ago texted me a picture of his, he's got about a half acre of non-typical clover and it's absolutely gorgeous. And I guess you took the picture just a couple of days ago, didn't you? I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Very pretty. Yeah. So, and that's non-typical here in the South. So. Okay. Yeah. And it, it always is the first thing to get green and I will, you know, it can, it can be, Everything else will be covered up, and those deer are still going over there. They may not be feeding hard on that clover, but you can find all these areas they are pawing it up because they're like, i got to have this to supplement my diet. And then, you know, come 1st of March when the entire southern Iowa landscape is just bland, one color, you got this little green shoots of clover just saying, you know what, hey, guys, I'm going to be the first one to the party. Mm -hmm. And then those deer start hitting it. So one more plus feather in the hat for clover is, in my opinion. Yeah, we love it. We, We sure do. So, look, what else do we need to ask, Deli? I don't want Mr. David over there. It looks like he's needs to take him a nap. Well, that's a pretty comfortable chair. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've actually napped in it before. You know, I, know, I know we situation. put some people in our audience to sleep, but I don't know we've ever put one of our guests to sleep. <laughs> I'm not, not going to be your first one either. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's all I got, guys. We will, you know, Dudley, have you got anything else you want to ask? I, I can't think of anything. We Look, we appreciate what y'all do for our brands. The Mossy Oak, Gamekeepers, Biology, you guys are just great ambassadors for us, and we appreciate Thank it you. so much. And then the way you you carry yourselves, we talked about this earlier. We're just we couldn't be more proud of of the the way you handle yourselves. You represent the hunting industry, and uh, and you show your faith, and that's just uh, that's been very impressive to us. So we feel the same way about Mossy Oak. I mean, sure I, we do. feel like we we align with you guys as much as anybody, and or better than anybody uh, as far as our partners, and uh, we appreciate y'all. Y'all standing behind us will always be able to say that Mr. Bobby Cole, he was the uh, first one that kind of stuck his neck out for the Lindsays, yep. you know. And, and we do, I will admit, we like him better now than when he was a judge on Dream Season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I guess some one day we'll, we'll do something to, to pay him back, I guess. I don't know. Uh, well, you got him a loaf of bread here, <laughs> so I think he's good. Yeah. And I, I got a new red dot. inch deer, you know. <laughs> Yeah, loaf of bread, and you got a red dot. Yeah. I don't understand that. Do me a favor, Dudley. Make sure he's got plenty of water when he eats that sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, is it was the streak broken this year? Or? Yeah, it was. It sure was. But you know what? I'm not real upset about it at all. Because you used to be. I remember. Yeah, that was a big I, deal. I was, but so uh, there's two ways to look ahead though. The best season because I've tried to get Jesse since she was. Ten years old oh, to yeah. kill a turkey, mm-hmm. and she's never killed a turkey until this year. Two of and, them, and then she killed two. Wow! And then now she's like, "Hey, where we? I want to go. Let's go turkey hunting. So where else can we go? You got, you got Nebraska this weekend. Take off. <laughs> yeah. So for all those years, I couldn't get her to get up in the mornings. She would give me one morning a year. She'd say, oh, I'll go one morning, and it'd always be a rainy day or it'd be awful, and then she wouldn't go again. So for all those years, and then she went this year, and we, and we just had a fantastic hunt, and now she's just turkey hunting crazy. She's hooked. That's good, yeah. So. Yeah, well, in my opinion, yes, the streak was Yeah, on. I thought about that so, earlier. I thought that about about that earlier. She'd killed two turkeys yeah, this year, so. and you hadn't. And, I mean, you know, that's kind of what happens when you have children growing up and be able to spend that time with them and do that now. That's you know? right. Well, guys, we've had a lot of fun. Mac, it has been fun, hasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, Mac's a big fan of you guys. We talk about we, we don't talk about y'all, but we speak of y'all all the time. So, Dudley, it's been fun. I'm tired. Lanny's gone. We got some sandwiches to eat. We've had lunch. It's, so we've got, I got to mount this red dot. Yeah, you do. Well, guys, thank y'all for being here. And for everybody at Mossy Oak, we do appreciate everything that you, you that you guys do. So thank you so much. So uh, why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.